Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winging It F1 podcast, which is just the Winging It podcast this week, because there are going to be so many sports discussed that you will be crying your eyes out. Uh, I'm Freddie Coates, and I am joined by Adam Dickinson and Nigel Chu, to dis- as usual, to discuss whether Hamilton is one of the greatest British sports people of all time. How are you two? Yeah, I'm very good. I think, I think it will be the argument of whether he is the greatest, but yeah, I'm looking... Looking forward to getting into getting into it, and yeah, it won't be. Will be the winging it assorted sports podcast. Yes, yeah, Hamilton. Nigel, you're yeah, very excited you, about this. Yeah, as you can tell, if you're a sports fan, then yeah, it should be a good one. We'll probably mention every sport in the flipping world, but yeah, it should be interesting. <laughs> Can't wait to make the case for water polo, and we're joined as a special <laughs> guest for this. For this episode, one of the people who knows the most about every sport apart from horse racing and basketball, two sports he despises, it's the great Henry Clark. Henry, how are you? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm not too bad, thank you. A bit surreal, a long-time fan of, of the podcast, so uh, thank, you for, thank you for having me on. Watch it a lot. Uh, Henry was our first review. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah. Oh well, it's give, giving back to the community, you know, helping <laughs> listeners, all of that is just what we're about, you know. There you go, Community solidarity in journalism. Yeah. <laughs> if you say something nice to us, we'll give you a platform to um, spread whatever you want. Um, so, right, let's get straight to it. There's a lot to get through in this, in this podcast because there's obviously so many sports people across the United Kingdom to go through um, before we come up with either a winner or a loser or we just fight um so we're gonna start by labeling out some criteria for you know what kind of makes a decent a decent sports person what what makes a great because obviously you've got immense skill but there's going to be so much more that comes into that and that'll probably be what we discussed with hamilton so does anyone have anything that they're dying to include as criteria like i think i'm teacher they're asking that question (laughs) (laughs) i think kind of when I when I look at it and when I'm thinking about it and Hamilton compared to other people, it's I guess the first thing is kind of the standing of the sport, how big it is, how much of a reach it has, how much competition there is for people going in. Obviously, being very good at it, winning at the highest level consistently. I think having longevity of a career is something that I really rate. Yeah. Um, you know, and kind of being in the conversation for the greatest of all time and I think for me having a reach beyond sport as well is kind of something I put up there and I think I've talked about this before but kind of a few athletes get to the stage where they are kind of as big as the sport so you know kind of Usain Bolt, Michael Jordan the two, Muhammad Ali kind of all spring to mind as people that just kind of dominate conversations around their sport and I think that's something that I bring into the argument but you know realize that it might not be the case for everyone i think for me a lot a lot of it is about if people if these athletes didn't exist uh, in my lifetime then it's sort of theoretically but it's also a lot about who produced moments where you know there's there's certain moments that athletes can produce and the greatest ones produce them on a regular occasion uh, on a more often occasion um 
but there, there are moments where you can you sort of you can you know exactly where you were at that time you remember exactly how you're feeling you remember the atmosphere in the room the the pub the if you were actually lucky enough to be there you remember exactly how it feels you know you know there's there's lots of different moments there's Murray's win at Wimbledon um the very first win at Wimbledon where he yeah. sobbed his eyes out on national television there was um like even uh 2019 where Stokes won head in basically Stokes won at head in league not even England won at head in league um I'm Jack but, Leach. Um, you know, people <laughs> athletes that have the power to or the the ability to produce those moments and then consistently produce them I think they go down in my eyes as the greatest um but and and again num- numbers numbers are there to support that and numbers show that but I personally wouldn't just ping quite everything on numbers, um, mainly because the person that I want to put forward as the greatest didn't actually get the most wins. But um, but I, I just think you know numbers numbers are a good indicator. But I wouldn't say, as Adam said about the impact, the wider impact they can have, I wouldn't say that they're the be all and end all in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely agree with those points there. Um, so we have longevity doing it consecutive times, being at the top for a long time, probably breaking records or some kind of record. I think that's important if you're going to say you're the greatest. Uh, But I think Henry's right on those moments and the star factor. Uh, I think that is probably the most important thing, how big they are in the context of the respective sport. Being a regular superstar, breaking records, a, trans- a transcendency beyond the sport, longevity, consistent victory, and the standing of the sport in general, um, on the in the world stage, then in the well, at least the British stage, uh, is what we're going for. Yeah. Um, so I think we should start. It's not too much. <laughs> not too much. Not too much to tick off, and I don't know. It's like top trumps, but for sports people now, um, we've got to we've got to start and actually get onto some some. British sports people. So, does anyone want to start with Formula One? Say, let's make the case for Lewis Hamilton. Let's get him either out of the way or just on the table. Out, out of the way. I think if we get him out of the way, it might be quite a short podcast. Um, <laughs> but I, I think he is because I think if you look at the standing of F1, it is a global sport. It's got its own Sky Sports channel. You know, is a big event it gets into news bulletins regularly it gets on you know in sports sections double page spread etc um obviously he's in in terms of numbers he is the most successful driver of all time in terms of he's got the most wins pole positions podiums and the joint most world championships and i think as as big as that is what i mentioned that he has kind of transcended his sport he's got more twitter followers than f1 and he's just people know him if people know anything about f1 especially in this country it is likely to be lewis hamilton and obviously the things he's done off trackers well over the last few years especially has raised that too you know he is reaching out beyond the sport he is making a difference beyond the sport you know i i think Concisely, that's why I think he's the best British sports person. He certainly um, was able to push the sport to new levels when he joined in 2007 and 2008, fighting for a championship immediately. It seemed to be um, Formula One. Formula One went from a sport that was on on a Saturday to that 
was just there. So a sport that you had to watch um, whenever it was on, when Hamilton um, rose to the forefront. I think I've got I, a question for you, Adam. Oh, go on. Oh, sorry. On, just, just quickly on that. I, I think that's, you know, you know, I think we, we knew, and even as someone like myself who has a, a general understanding of Formula One, but doesn't understand it to a length to record 50 podcasts about it. <laughs> um, but do that. when when we saw when we saw Hamilton, like I can I, I can vividly remember even when I was younger and didn't have a brilliant understanding of Formula One, but I can remember the way that Hamilton came on the scene and transcended Formula One, especially in Britain. Um, and I think when you see someone that takes to a sport at the top level in the way that Hamilton did straight away, I think that is a hallmark of, of greatness. And obviously we know now he, he did go on to undoubtedly become one of the greats. Where you put him in that standings is debatable, but but he's certainly, he's certainly a name in the running. I think also it, it's not necessarily a kind of criteria put generally because all sports are different and kind of British success in sports are different but the way he's kind of he has you know Britain didn't really have a figurehead in F1 for for a while um you know there was Damon Hill was probably the last one and there wasn't kind of someone at at the level you know and even then Damon you know all due respect he's a great champion but he wasn't you know kind of a great in in the sense that you know we Mm -hmm. normally speak about and he has become that, and he was the first one for, for decades to, to come out of Britain for that. Nigel, what do you want to say before? I was just going to say, do you think he gets the recognition that he deserves, and why not if he doesn't? I think he does, to be fair. I think most media, obviously, there was the ridiculous oh. Mail Daily Mail headline when he got knighted that was just so awfully judged. But outside of that, I think... Yeah, I think, you know, you look at his spotty win and I think that was, you know, a big thing. I think he hasn't always done. And maybe when he came onto the scene, as Henry was saying, and he was able to challenge straight away, I don't think, because I kind of came into F1 at that point, I don't think I really appreciated how unique that was mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and it's something that I've kind of recognised looking back. But yeah, I, I'd say he gets a fair, I'd say it's fair. If you look at the way when Hamilton came into the sport, the last British victory had been Jensen Button's only victory, which is in 2006. And prior to that, there'd been something like 100 Grand Prix with no British victory um, when David Coulthard was at McLaren, um, basically. And that seemed to be that Formula One was moving away from Britain. Formula One had been a British sport for a long time. Damon Hill and Nigel Mansell both were, um, to be fair, really highly regarded in the British public consciousness. They were um, always mentioned on sports personality. I think Hill won it twice, even when he lost the championship. So um, there was always such a such a public behind 90s British Formula One and 80s British Formula One that it started to filter away in the 2000s. And the way that Hamilton just snapped that back is and, and has carried continued to do so because obviously he won sports personality in the December just gone for 2020 so he's he, he does get recognition in that I think but there's I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in just how how the stats lie because it's kind of expected for Hamilton to win mm. now it's kind of expected for him to be really good and yeah, I think that means true, that some people forget that what he's doing is in my opinion 
obviously as a Formula One journalist, I'm going to say this, but is extremely challenging and extremely difficult day in, day out to just get to the level he does, which is an unbelievable level. He won one driver of the day last year. He won less than Vettel in terms of driver of the day. Don't which talk just, about driver it's just, of the day. Yeah, I think... I think you Because he's not spectacularly great. Race. Who's he got the is. most fans in the world? Yeah, probably Hamilton, yeah. really. But <laughs> <laughs> that, that, brings us on to, um, that brings us on to Henry's criteria, which is the superstar moments. Um, is he regularly marvellous? And it just gets to the point where it's, it's not known how fantastic he is because he's, so, he made, he's made it normal to be fantastic. Do we think that's the mm. case? Yeah, especially with 20, 23 races a year as well. You know, every weekend mm. he wins. Whereas, say, other sports or the Olympics, Olympians, they only get once every four years to show their true worth on the world stage because there are other events, world championships. They're not broadcast on TV. Whereas Hamilton, Hamilton he is on get TV every week. Yeah, this it's kind of like a footballer mm. in that sense. You know, say if a footballer performs week in, week out, scores two or three goals every week. After seven or eight games, you might not appreciate it as much yeah. as you did from the start. And I think Hamilton is kind of in, in that case. And I think the fact we're still talking about him now when he could, he could go on to win eight, nine, or even ten world titles. Uh, yeah, the fact we're talking about him being the greatest says a lot in itself, I think. And I actually think, I actually think the... See, this is this is potentially one of the not one of the problems, but one of the things that I think if you don't understand F1, I think one of the problems is that sports fans or people interested in sport like myself, you you see you see Hamilton's achievements and year after year, especially in recent times, you see you see his success and you just think, oh, well, it's because he's got an, it's because he's because he's got the best cast because because everyone else mm-hmm. is used to this. But just just because just because someone dominated something for so long doesn't shouldn't mean to detract from the competition. Although then I then I would say that is where I do have this this is where I do have a little bit of an uh, not a problem with Hamilton, but like Nigel Nigel talked about the the twenty odd races a year. Uh, 20, 23 years, you know, the, yeah. the cal- basically the calendar's getting so much bigger every every year, it seems. And obviously the nature of that means that he has the opportunity to win more races. And and again, there, there, there has to be, there has to be context behind the way we take in any stats and, you know, um, mm. you know, I, and 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 it's the the era and the, the the cars he's driving. You know, he he might not. People might argue that he doesn't have the best car far and away because that's a common argument. But but if if Sterling Moss, who obviously never won a title, mm-hmm. if Sterling Moss was racing in the same caliber car as Hamilton is, and is now, you know, how many world titles and and racing as often as Hamilton was, how many world titles would someone like Sterling Moss have won? And that's. That's I think is the is the not the issue with Hamilton, but that's that's an argument you can make against Hamilton being the great. Is in yeah. you know he has got mm. as in his sport he has an excellent platform to excel in, and and I think that's that shouldn't be his fault because you know it's not his fault. He's the best driver and he, he the best team picked wanted him to race for them. But but I think the the nature of the nature of Formula One where you don't 
you know, it is a solo sport, but then it isn't because there are so many extenuating circumstances behind it. And I think that is, that for me is what doesn't quite put Hamilton at the top compared to others. He's definitely more, he's Mm. definitely up there. And, you know, it definitely should be conceived as one of the, the greats. But for me, I think there's just, I think, there's just so many, there's other things of other athletes that can be, that elevate them maybe slightly above Hamilton. But again, I'm more than happy to be challenged on that by three F1 nuts. So. <laughs> well, I think, I, I think, think that's the, um, the point you're you making. Is I, you, oh, go on, Fred. Oh, I was just oh, going to no, say, I, I think Henry said to me last year or something that if Fernando Alonso was in, in the same car, he would have won eight world titles as, as well. And that is possible, I'd say, because... Alonso is, you know, that good. He might not quite be on Hamilton's level, but he's, you know, near enough and he could have done... He, he, he would probably have the same stats as what Hamilton has. And, and, yeah, and, and you're, you're, you're totally right. And the, the thing is, if you... Other sports, you know, they're... they're I mean, for, personally for me, the era that Hamilton has raced in, can we gen, genuinely say that there are... There's another racer that will sorry i feel like that's a terrible term for an f1 <laughs> driver but but is there another driver that can even be considered in the same category in terms of eliteness as hamilton is you know he people there's other athletes i feel that raced in far more competitive uh, other not raced uh, competed in far more competitive eras within their respective sports where there was genuinely like a couple of all-time greats in the game at that time. And the thing, and but then, okay, you could say Alonso, but then they're not driving the same car. So again, well, that, they're, if, they're, you, there's... if you're taking in the argument of when they're driving the same car, let's look through all of Hamilton's teammates. His first teammate was Alonso. I was finished about to say, level oh, on no. points with him. <laughs> it, was, um, it was also, a, it was Hamilton, a rookie Hamilton against a two-time reigning champion, Alonso. And then, he, well. then Alonso, completely he, forced, Alonso. he forced Alonso basically to leave the team. There was obviously more things to do with that um, and McLaren, but we don't need to go into that here. But that was all all ramped up into Alonso by the fact that he believed Hamilton was getting preferential treatment because Hamilton was really just quick. And then they brought in Heike Kovalainen, who had been good in junior formula um, all the way up through his career. As um, he, They brought him in as um, a swap for Alonso. He'd had a good season with Renault. And then he was just absolutely flattened by Hamilton. They brought in the reigning world champion Button, who was relatively consistent with Hamilton, but a, just mm. you would, a consistently he was kind of beaten in qualifying, and the race pace was generally better for Hamilton. When he was partnered with Nico Rosberg, Nico Rosberg had to get to a point where he felt like he couldn't do it anymore when he beat him, and he only beat him because of mechanical reliability. Let's be honest. He got to such a point that Nico Rosberg quit the sport immediately after winning. He, Hamilton is, is a teammate killer. He's battered um, anyone who's come up against him. I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm an F1 fan, so I should be standing up Hamilton in a way. But Alonso has only really had one bad year, I would say, in F1, and that was 2007 when Hamilton was teammate. And Hamilton has had probably one bad year in F1 as well, 2011, when Jensen yeah. Button beat him over the season. You could say 2016 as well was Rosberg that beat was him. Button's but best year. Though, to be fair. had more. Yeah, Hamilton had more misfortune, but 2011 was probably Hamilton's worst season. And I think every sports person 
has one or two bad years in their 15, 20-year career. So I think you could argue with Alonso, 2007 was his bad year, and that's why he but lost can, that year. And I, can, I, I know we're going to start me off topic. But. but can you flip that and say, or make an argument that actually it was Hamilton's involvement that contributed to the off year? You know, if he'd been up against Heike Kovalainen, would he have won the championship? Mm-hmm. I think so. But yeah, I, I think... I don't think it was just Alonso. I think it was coming in and having this, you know, boy racer just challenge him and outperform him. Mm. I think that I think that highly contributed to it. Really. Is that any th- different to what Max Verstappen did though? Because except Verstappen was in, in the midfield when he came in. To who? To uh, Ricardo. Toyo Rosso, wasn't it in 2015? Do you think is that you saying is that what he did to Ricardo over two years at Red Bull? Is that what? Yeah. Or yeah. Um, well, I think with Verstappen is a is a is a unique case because he came in so young, and you could see every year that he got better and better and better. If you look at his his two and a half seasons against Ricardo, he started tenth tenth behind. He then the the second year he was on pace, and then the next year he was a tenth ahead. So it seems to be that he just came in and got better and better and better and better, and just forced people to be behind him. Frankly, with Verstappen, I, that's how I see it. Is um, and he's, I think Verstappen still he's at. He's still growing, Verstappen. He's at the age now that Hamilton was when he came into the sport. I think the I think... problem is Hamilton's era, the turbo hybrid era, it's going to hurt his reputation, I think, in sport in general because Mercedes were so dominant. Because in F1 mm. before yeah, you're right. 2005 to 2012, you know, he had five, six different teams winning different world champions year on year. But I think because of what's happened in the F1 in the last six or seven years, And it's not Hamilton's fault, obviously. It's just the way the sport's gone. I think that goes against Hamilton, Henry. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was just gonna gonna say. I think the nature of Formula One in in two in two ways for me. Firstly, as Nigel said, the the dominance. You know, in the last seven years, in the um, in the driver's standings, it's only been twice that the there's been the one two has been from different teams. So that's straight away. You know that that straight away for me says perhaps says something about the dominance of that car. Um, you know, perhaps perhaps it says a bit about Bottas also. But I think you know it's widely it's widely known that he is, of course, the inferior driver to a great like Hamilton. But the second point about why Hamilton probably isn't regarded as well because of his because of his sport is because you know F1 has been on has been on pay-per-view TV, you know, Scott under a subscription TV yes. for so long. You know, it's not, it's exactly the same problem that as a cricket fan we have with mm. cricket. You know, no one, kids, you know, kids should be skipping around the street pretending to be Ben Stokes and Lewis Hamilton, but they're not in the same way. <laughs> they're, 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 <laughs> they're not in the same way that they're doing for, for other sports that they're able to watch on TV and, and watch more, more widely. And I think the nature of that straight away hinders the audience that Hamilton can really can really captivate um, with his achievements. Mm. But- I think I'd agree with that. And what you were saying about kind of star moments, spectacular moments, I was thinking Hamilton's had these amazing drives, you know, just Turkey this year, Germany 2018, um, you know, Singapore qualifying. There's There's been yeah, those, Singapore but I don't, I don't think they're kind of... They're not in the same. I'd say the only different one would be uh, the 2008 finale, 
because all of the ones that have been on Sky, I don't think it's really that people think, oh, I was there when. I, I don't think it's kind of that level. I think if, if there'd been a crowd at Silverstone last year, I think that would have been a really special moment for for the first race for kind of everyone would know where they, you know, kind of remember that as something where they were there, where Hamilton finished on three wheels. But yeah, I'd agree with that, that it's just not got the standing. I think just the final point, I, you know, I'm sure we'll come back to it and go through the mm. sports people, but the final point I would make is where he's come from just to be an F1 in the first place. I think, you know, that he is the first and only black driver in the sport you know he has blazed a trail there and he's come from working really hard just to be able to you know have a junior racing career he was when he was karting they go through the rubbish bins at the tracks and take out tires that his competitors have thrown away because they could use them and you know they couldn't afford to be paying for new sets of tires every every time I think where he has come from in the possibly the elitist sport of all is I think another thing that marks him out yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Definitely. I think you, you make a brilliant point, the one we haven't actually touched on, which is obviously Hamilton's... We have mentioned his transcendency outside the sport, but his transcendency outside the sport brings us to, obviously, everything that's gone on this year with BLM and um, his his climate change commitments as well, which um, is a hard plate, is a hard line to walk as a as a internally combustion-powered um, sports person. But he's... He's done. He's put his money where his mouth is with with all of that. He's got his Extreme E team, which is the electric off-road racing series that is basically fighting climate change as their MO, and then they race to draw attention to it. Um, and he's put his money where his mouth is to go for that. So I think there's a lot to say that we haven't said about Hamilton's external exploits that mm. that the um, the platform has given him and that he's made the most of. But I don't think. We're running out of time on Hamilton, yeah. but I think, yeah, yeah. not on that there. That's a nod to that. And then um, we're going to move from one night to another night and go and talk about Sir Steve Redgrave, who is, Ooh. you know, I think I've all, never, 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 whenever people have spoken to me about, oh, Olympians were amazing. For my entire life, people have always spoken about Sir Steve Redgrave. And he is just massive. He's, I mean, yeah, Nigel, can you run through Sir Steve Redgrave's stats? Because I don't have anything on oh. top of my head about him. But I'm going to throw you under the bus. That's all right. I mean, I think the only stat we really need to know is five consecutive Olympic gold medals. That is just off the scale, you know, back to, what, 16 years, I think. Yeah, from 1984 to 2000, the last one in Sydney. He also came, He also was diagnosed with diabetes, I think, in 1997. But he still came back and worked so, so hard. And I think there's a documentary on how he came back uh, to rowing. Because in 1996, he said uh, something like, if you see me in a boat again, you can shoot, shoot me. me. <laughs> but then he came back four years later to be part of the uh, winning four that won in Sydney. So it was, it's just incredible. And I, I don't see anyone who can do that again. Five consecutive gold medals at, at, at Olympic Games. I think that is something that, it's probably like once every hundred years you're probably going to see, I'd say. So I think that's that's the key thing for for, for Redgrave. Yeah, it is a, it's a remarkable achievement. And again, as we touched on the criteria for greatness, that that longevity is is outstanding. You know, I think the the thing that does Sir Steve Redgrave a disadvantage um, is or a disservice, sorry, is that he 
it's, rowing is one of those sports where unless you've unless you've done it, you don't quite understand the the level of fitness and and the you know the the all round like level of strength and fitness that you need to be able to compete at at the highest level in that sport. And you know the he his his ability to come back year after year and you know he struggled i know that documentary he struggled terribly with his diabetes and that affecting training you know the amount of calories they have to consume for their energy and i think you know again i think it might be a case that you can't put him up there because of the sport he was in but again that shouldn't be a disservice to him um my argument with sir steve redgrave also and which doesn't apply to Hamilton, but applies to, I feel, a lot of others, is that without Sir Steve Redgrave, you would have had Matthew Pinson, you know, without, there's, there's lots there's lots of other different um, in sport where if they didn't have one, if they didn't have Chris Hoy, they'd have Jason Kenny, you know, that for me, there, there wasn't, like, he wasn't a, a, a sole trailblazer in his sport. And, the, go on, Nigel. I, no, I was just going to say, does that not, can you not say the other way then? Because he had someone else that good. Who, yes, he was British as well. Does that not make his achievements even greater? I guess. But I, I, I don't think so because because the nature of Rowan is they were on the same team, yeah. and I, I just think, I think they, they without without that precedent there, that some of the other athletes had. I think I think that that maybe does Redgrave, Sir Steve Redgrave, a disservice, but. I don't necessarily think that's right, but I just feel that there's there's people that maybe carried their sport on their own in a way that Sir Steve Ribgrave maybe didn't quite. Well, I mean, mm. he, he won the only gold medal for Britain at Atlanta 96. I think for he was kind of the shining light of UK Olympic sport. You know, whether as you said, whether or not that was kind of justified to be all on him or, you know, his, his rowing teammates, but he was for a lot of years. Obviously, now we've all grown up in a period where Britain has won dozens of gold medals at each Olympics for the last three games, but he was kind of in the dog days before the lottery funding. He was really there, and I don't know loads about rowing, but, no. you know, he seems to be kind of, you know, the most successful. He does seem to be someone who can be put forward as the, the greatest Rower from my. I think, I think so. Oh, sorry, I think a point to make about all of this is that there, you know, there, there is sort of you could make an you could feasibly make an argument for any of these to be considered mm. as the greatest. So yeah. I think it's not it's not a slight on Sir Steve Redgrave that you know it, again it, it will be down to it will be down to personal opinion. You know, uh, someone that doesn't follow F one, someone doesn't like F one, wouldn't mm. have Hamilton as number one, but. But that's that's not because Hamilton's achievements were are not appreciated, yeah, not yeah. good. It's just because they don't understand what went into those those mm. titles. Yeah, I've got a question. So, do you think if he did the one, if he was, if he did the single boat events rather than the two and four, do you think that would have made his achievements even better? I don't know enough about rowing to answer that. But potentially, 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 I don't think that's right. If it if it if that is the case. But I think, but I think, you know, there again, it's those those things that make them that make them stand out. And if if 
if Sir Steve Redgrave was on his own rowing and but then the likes of Matthew Pinson and James Cracknell were were in the same Olympics on in the team sort of events and they were winning gold as well with no fault of his own I I feel that that would detract from Redgrave because it wouldn't be like oh Sir Steve Redgrave on his own again five consecutive golds like no one like, who who knows anything about British rowing how how we produce this one gem of a talent, but I think I think that, that again it's not his fault. But I, yeah. for me, that, that 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 doesn't that means that others can be put slightly ahead of him. I feel. Yeah, I, I think Henry makes a really good point with all of that. But just yeah, from an outside, I mean, I know very little about rowing. Um, I know Sir Steve Redgrave, I know James Cracknell, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> And Ben Fogel, I just know the real rower. Bump, bump into them at the pub every now and then, you know. I just know two of the greatest rows of all time. It's fine. Yeah, they're lovely people. Um, but um, with with what Henry's saying, he makes a really good point that it is four people in a boat. It's not one person in the boat. And Steve Redgrave is really kind of he's like Nigel says, it's the longevity, but that's just because he did more. Would you say? I think really that just age, if. if yeah, but if if um if it had been the same team from '84 in 2000, then would it be a, a big four people that are celebrated? Was, or do you think it was different? Team. So he did he did two man from not the other. I think it was '84 to '96, and then he only did the four man in 2000. Okay. Uh, so yeah, and and I think what I mean, what else could Redgrave have done in, in his career? He couldn't have done mm. any better, really. You can't ask him to go to an, a six Olympics. He literally did. At the maximum. I think the the other thing for me is if he was a swimmer or a track cyclist or something, you know, he could have cleaned up. Look how many medals Phelps has got, for example, yeah. you know, or, or some of the cyclists that we'll talk about later. Rowing is kind of a one event sport per Olympics. But, you know, if he'd been at that level for even four Olympics, you know, in another sport, he, he could well have kind of cleaned up and be one of the highest medal winners of all time, you know, on kind of the level of Phelps I think that does kind of count against him in a sense and just on on the team point I think you know you still you need to have that longevity yeah you you need to get to the team you need to be at that level and you know having having that person in the team can inspire others it can raise and I think that's what Hamilton does as well it can raise the other members of your team up and I think that is and you know something that's its own skill in a sports person. And I think that is one that clearly Redgrave had. I think yeah. you're very right about, about all of that. I think you make a very, very good point, Nigel, about what more could he have done? And, you know, I think, I think we're all struggling to think of what more he could have done. So I think, yeah, that's, got that's to a nice... the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. A 40 year <laughs> career in the Olympics <laughs> uh, for Sir Steve Redgrave on top of that sport relief. Okay, let's draw a baseline under Sir Steve Redgrave and move on to Sir Andy Murray. Oh, tennis, Henry Clark, you are going to fight the corner for Sir Andy Murray. So please go. Well, as you say, I'm gonna I'm gonna pin my uh, colours to the mast and uh, and go and say straight out that. I believe that Sir Andy Murray is Britain's greatest sports person. And the reason I say this, you know, I, so we, we got, we look at the, the numbers. So three grand slams, 
two Olympic golds uh, and a Davis Cup win for Great Britain. But Davis Cup is like the Carabao Cup, like in football, like it doesn't really mean much. Um, you won it single-handedly, though, basically. Well, not yeah, single-handedly. Yeah, it's well, I was big, about big to say, <laughs> I kind of view the Davis Cup as more of an achievement than the two Olympics. In terms of wow. like the Davis Cup, is like a tra- <laughs> it's, the Davis Cup is like a tradition. I don't know a more like tennis traditional thing. Dutch I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, but I just think Olympic. I don't know. I just think Olympic golds mm. is is the you know I know tennis is a relative newcomer and it's not necessarily synonymous with the Olympic Games, but I think uh, an Olympic gold is is the not obviously that grand slams mean more but but i would say that that is up there but the timing the, of the, the olympic thing, gold the sorry to cut you off the timing of the olympic gold coming literally just after he'd lost um yeah wimbledon like basically and a couple of weeks after wimbledon yeah i think right. that's uh, that's what uh, was it against the same um, yeah it was against Federer. Yeah. yeah so that, i think Federer hasn't that's won the olympic gold either oh yeah. carry on wow well, who's yeah, either Sorry to cut in. No, no. Um, but the thing for me with with Murray that probably separates him from the others, in my mind, is you know, Britain has a a long history of producing great Formula One drivers. It has a long history of producing sort of great footballers. Great, you know, you could almost think of any sport and think of like different people from different eras along the line but tennis although it's a major you know it, it is a major sport i would i would consider tennis probably this may be a bit controversial but i'd consider tennis to be a bigger sport in this country than formula one yeah um in my mind um now but, i would yeah and mm-hmm. the the thing is with there was there before murray there was there was no one you know we we latched onto Tim Henman and he was he was like the the plucky Brit that did all right but didn't really did you know he never he never you know he reached the semi final at Wimbledon but didn't didn't you know didn't conquer the world stage and the, the thing with Murray is you know you could you can make the argument that he didn't he didn't win as many as Federer you know he didn't win as many as Nadal but he was playing in almost undoubtedly the best era of like we, we yeah. like people will look back on this era of tennis and and almost undoubtedly say it was the strongest era ever you know that Djokovic Federer Nadal they will you know those those sort of four will go down as some of the best to play the game and Murray was regarded by them as one of one of the best you know they they saw murray as one of them and you know they were there you know there's obviously there's they had injury problems which were unfortunate they came at an unfortunate time for him and obviously it now looks like they've pretty much ended his career um at the top level at least but he you know there was no precedent in britain when when murray did that you know that that fine that wimbledon final in 2013 is probably one of the and you know, I'm a t- I like tennis in the same way I like Formula One, but I don't, you know, I don't follow it religiously. But the whole country watches Wimbledon in the summer. It's on. It is on BBC One. It everyone can watch it, and it is the highlight of the British sporting summer, really. And 
even if you don't watch it religiously, but everyone watches Andy Murray to see how Andy Murray does. And that that year, where you know after the after losing, he had so, he he had the country riding on him, and in in their showpiece event in at Wimbledon, you know at the All England Club, it was a massive, you know, not for seventy seven years since Fred Perry. You know, Fred Perry now is the bloke that's on the shirt. He's not he's yeah. not the great tennis the last great tennis champion for Britain. You know, and you know he had he had no. He had no teammate, you know. You can talk about Steve Redgrave. He, you know, he. We don't know how much he re- relied on Pinson and, and Cracknell, and you know, and the rest. He had no edging equipment. You know, it's debatable about Hamilton. He, you know, he has a racket, but ev- you know, every, everyone can, <laughs> everyone can get the best racket. It's not like everyone can get the best Formula One car because the nature of Formula One is there's only two seats at whatever turns out to be the the strongest team. And I just think for the way the way he carried the whole country's hopes in a major sport where the infrastructure wasn't previously there for a, te- a tennis champion to emerge from Great Britain because we, we just didn't have any. And for me, the way he competed in, in that era was phenomenal. And that's without even considering what a physically taxing sport tennis is and how demanding the calendar is you know they you talk about f1 going around the world but tennis is exactly the same tennis you know they're in they're playing different t- tournaments in different events and you know he has to he has to peak for the majors every year you know it's not you know he plays he might play the odd sort of tour event but he producing his best tennis you know sometimes day after day if the if the schedule falls not in his favor but for for me i just think maybe maybe i maybe i've misunderstood how i think tennis and wimbledon is perceived in the in this country but for me i'd struggle to find someone that doesn't doesn't you know follow murray religiously and find out how murray gets on during a wimbledon summer and i just think for what he did and you know, we're going to see in this country in the next in the next 10, 20 years, we're going to reap the benefits of that as a country, I'm sure. And I'm sure we're going to see another generation of tennis talent because of Andy Murray. You know, it's, it's those role models that inspire the next generation. And I feel I feel that we will undoubtedly see that. And and we can quite feasibly just pin that on one man because there was no one else. There was, there was no one else waving the flag for Britain at the top level of tennis. And yeah, I just think uh, first British ever number one. You know, I just think his his achievement with no history behind him in the sport was unparalleled for for me. I I'm convinced. I think for, I um not although I didn't think I would be. Um, <laughs> no, I, I th- no, it's it's. I think you have a Jamie Murray compelling argument. I think you have put a compelling argument over for that. I I would kind of rank. I nearly said Silverstone, Wimbledon, a bit lower down. I don't think it is kind of the centre of. I don't think there is a centre really of of a British sporting summer. I think it's generally whatever major football tournament is on. Um, you know, or if there's an Ashes series, I think that becomes the centre. I kind of wouldn't place. Wimbledon up there but you know I get I guess it's different and different parts of the country and different you know groups that you interact with will view, view that differently I think 
my main issue is just you know the kind of absolute achievement i don't really think is there i think me viewing it is there's nadal federer djokovic and then murray is kind of you know just a half step back in terms of the tournaments that he's won the grand slams that he has won i don't really think he's in that bracket and no. i don't know whether kind of looking back will he be viewed as one of the greatest ever or kind of yeah you know will he be a top five best tennis player my, of all time my argument to that is it's like having hamilton racing against schumacher and center at the mm. peak at the same time yeah, yet hamilton yeah. only yeah. wins two world titles but well, that's those two world titles might be better than the eight he's got now just simply because He's up against exactly, exactly. what we were saying about yeah. Alonso earlier. That is, and you know, yeah. you put you put in that. So say Hamilton's car he was in this year. If you put on the on the same grid for X amount of years that Hamilton has raced in Formula One, you put him on the same on the same grid with uh, you know Schumacher, um, Fangio, Sterling Moss, all in all in that all in that um, Mercedes car, and mm. over this eight years then we see how many Hamilton wins. And I that, think... that for me, that for me, and, and if he wins two, that doesn't mean, I, for me, that doesn't lessen him. But I think that the same principle, as Nigel said, applies to Andy Murray. I just think it was an, it was an age of greatness for, for tennis. And I don't, I don't think that Hamilton ever competed in an age. Um, because I, I feel like for a lot of people, probably... Murray and Hamilton will probably be the one and two, maybe that people jostle about. Generally, I I feel like that's probably the case. And for me, that that is just what pushes Murray a little bit ahead of Hamilton for me. I think if if you look, so you know, we're saying eight years. What? How how many Grand Slams? I'm going to have to check how many Grand Slams Murray won. But was it three? Over yeah, that period, three, 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 three out well, of thirty-two. His, his I think. rise, his rise to world number one. Sorry, I'm speaking a minute. His rise to world number one in 2016. He had to play. I, I remember in like September, October, he had to play every single week or every two weeks to win the tournament to catch Novak Djokovic, who was world number one. And he ended up doing it in the final event at the ATP World Tour Finals in London, and he beat Djokovic in the final. And mm. having he also won the Olympics that year uh, for the second time. I think he won his second Wimbledon title that year as well. Twenty sixteen was yeah. a yeah. mighty, mighty year. Mm. To get to world I, number one took a lot. Of, you know, I'd agree with that. I think that was you know completely supreme year in the context of British sport and world sport. It's one of the best ever. But I I think he won three out of you know, 32, or I don't know how many he missed for injury. I don't think it was that many over that period. I think if if you put Hamilton in that position of racing against, you know, Senna and Schumacher and Prost, I think he's winning, you know, more than, than what, 10%, less than 10% of the, of the championships over that time. And... But, but, yeah, but then again, we, we will never know. We, the, again, no. This is why this is why it's a, it's almost uh, it's almost oh, yeah. a, it's a difficult debate because you you never you just don't know and and mm. I just think it, it is tough and but then it comes back to the point that I think I think I said at the start as in 
do you put greatness down to purely numbers? Because if you yeah. do, then I, then you can't put Murray probably as as not as the greatest. But mm. but I think I just think for you know there we've had we've had great F one champions. I know you made a good point that you know we hadn't had one for a while, but we have had great F one world champions from this country. Mm. But you know, the, he, Murray. Murray is a generational talent. You know, there's generations that will have watched some of the, you know, some of the great Formula One drivers from from yesteryear, and then seen Hamilton. But there's there's very few people that would have seen, you know, a great tennis player, a great British tennis player before. Um, mm. But no, I completely, I completely agree. It is it's difficult, and it, it it is a difficult argument to make for Murray because of the volume of titles or the lack of volume of times that he won but I feel that was more that was mm. more he was a he was a victim of his era I would say if yeah. I put something to you now um without his um recent is it hip injuries that he's had and all the complications with that do you think he would have sustained one or two seeding for the next like three or four years after that or do you think he would have fallen off well I don't I don't think there was there was ever there was never really a sign that Murray was slowing down um you know that he and again it, you know this this could be an argument you make against him being the greatest but it's you know he i think he he lost in the final at australia i think five times you know so you know some people could call that a choker but at the end of the day he he reached the final of that uh, he reached the final tournaments a lot too and he you know he didn't necessarily always win but it was a great it, it was great and you know, who knows what would happen if he'd have carried on, you know, you know, the nature, but, you know, if we use an example, Murray is known as one of the fittest, if not the fittest on the tennis circuit. Roger Federer is still playing and competing at the top now. And he's, he's much older. He's much older than Murray. And I think there is a general feeling that Murray could have gone on to do more, but I think, I think, I think his achievements in his first part of his career, when, when, the sort of they were all at their absolute peak were would almost outweigh any later titles he won anyway i yeah i think for me looking at like i said and you know is an impossible kind of thing to think about or you know kind of ever ever prove or whatever but i think like i said if you put hamilton in a group of you know the greatest of all time i think he's winning more and, you know, winning titles is something, you know, in all sports that you can compare across. And, yeah, I just think Hamilton is a greater F1 driver. And even though he has had it easy, well, no, that's Relatively. wrong. Relatively. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he's had... There's always a level of less, competition. He's had less competition. Every day. Yeah, but even so, that's not to take away... He, he's dominated against weaker opposition. It's mm. not like he's just won against weaker opposition you know than the caliber of what Murray's had he came into the sport and was immediately on the pace and you know probably should have won in 2007 but you know was very close he then won the next yeah. year and now he's come back he's he's beaten Vesely he's just you know yeah. it comes back to the point earlier about legacy. who's Hamilton Hamilton has mm. broken and he's crushed yeah. Alonso to the point that he's ruined his own career for himself by not winning at McLaren basically um Vettel was you know mini shoe when he was winning and now <laughs> Vettel's you know he's 
he's in the doldrums of his mental and everything with that for when he was at Ferrari he, he you know he pushed battle into the dirt basically and I think yeah and this is and you can make an argument that he's not up against Senna and Schumacher and Mansell and Prost in the same at the same time like Murray is with Federer and Dal Djokovic as you say but he's, he's still got his own portion of greats to have beaten and have had fights with and mm-hmm. to come out on top of and Hamilton has done that um, yeah. whereas Murray has sometimes done that and got to a point that he was doing that but you know it's it's just a question like we say it's it's not a certainty and whereas in, I think mine and Adam's opinion it is a certainty with Hamilton the biggest thing I disagree with your point Emily, is that are you saying because Murray is doing most probably the most individual sport out of you know the sports we're going to talk about today does that mean a footballer a rugby player an F1 driver would they never be as great simply because of the sports they're doing more of the team is more important? I think, unfortunately, I think there is an argument for that, rightly or wrongly. I, I think there, I think there has to be an argument for that because, you know, I think that that should make you appreciate the the talent of Murray even more so. Uh, people like Murray, who you know, they there there are no outside circumstances affecting. A tennis player and you know I think that's where that's where you've got to be the thing the thing with tennis you know of course the game has evolved through time but the thing with tennis is I feel like it's a fairly easy sport to make a comparison through the ages because you know there have been there have been subtle changes to the game but you know the way that Formula One has changed in terms of the cars, the way that, that rugby has changed in terms of the, the style of play, the way football's changed in terms of the style of play. You know, tennis has changed considerably, but, but you know, that there's always the argument with, um, you know, Messi and Maradona in football, but people say, well, you can't compare them because it's a different age. But I feel with tennis, because of the individual nature of it, I feel like there there is more room for comparing, and that's why I think when you're as a Formula One driver, it's very difficult to prove for, for a Formula One driver to be considered as the greatest British sports person. In my mind, you have got to be the greatest, and that is oh, very difficult. <laughs> but that, but that yeah. that's very difficult because because with Formula One, I would say that. I would say arguably, you know, I'm potentially more impressed with so uh, Fangio's achievements. You know, I, I may be wrong, but he didn't he race for five different teams. He won he won titles at like five different teams. Like, you, you know, the, that that is I think that is incredible, and in a way that you know that for me that means more than Hamilton potentially sitting in a Mercedes and winning like back to back to back because I just I think you know if it if you could find me another driver in history that could go from car to car like that I think that I think that for me that that what that's what you know that's not Hamilton's fault it's I'm not telling him he should go and race for like Toro Rosso next week or whatever (laughs) but but, you know we're not going to talk about Alan Prost because he's French but I'll just throw his name into the mix but um I think just to to close off on this point about different sports having different standings, it's going to be really interesting with the next person I'm going to bring up. 
but you'll have to wait till next time to find out who that is. This is going to be the end of part one of our Greatest British Sports Person podcast. We're going to be back with Henry, with Nigel, with Adam, with myself, Freddie, um, for part two, where we're going to go into even more detail about tons of British sports people who maybe hold a candle to Hamilton when it comes to greatest British sports person of all time. We're going to leave you in suspense as to who's coming up next after Andy Murray. And who knows? If you guess it, give yourself a prize in the next episode. Come back soon. See you soon.